Creative Babble. Previously on Pretend, we heard about the U.S. government's interest in parapsychology. There were all sorts of studies conducted during the Cold War concerning telepathy, poltergeist activity, and psychokinesis. But one study in particular caught my attention. In the 1980s, an aircraft tycoon named James McDonald funded a parapsychology lab at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. It was led by a physicist named Peter Phillips. A physicist. Like physics. You know, what goes up must come down. Yeah, that physics. So, at face value, this seemed like a legitimate experiment conducted by legitimate scientists. As part of the experiment, the scientists recruited two high school kids who appeared to have psychic abilities. Think X-Men, but for real. These kids could bend metal with their minds. They could read thoughts and stop clocks from ticking. It was pretty remarkable. These were just high school kids. But this wasn't just another kooky paranormal study. This was an elaborate hoax. You see, those high school kids who had psychic abilities, well, they were amateur magicians. They were planted in the Washington University study by a skeptic who was on a mission to expose the field of parapsychology as a bunch of pseudoscience phonies. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend, stories about real people pretending to be someone else. I want to tell you about a service that I just started using. It's called BetterHelp.com. And I have to tell you, I'm super impressed. I mean, it was easy to set up. And in just a few minutes, I was matched with a counselor who specializes in the area that I wanted to talk about. I can't tell you how great it felt to just get my thoughts out in the messaging feature. I was able to organize my thoughts before I spoke to my counselor. And the best part is, it's safe and secure. And also, it's super convenient. I'm able to get help on my schedule and pace. You can even schedule a chat or a phone conversation with your therapist. So if you're feeling depressed, stressed out, having relationship problems, or any concerns, you should really try this out. This is not a crisis hotline. These are more than 3,000 real U.S. licensed therapists working on your schedule. You should give it a spin. Pretend listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code, PRETEND. Go to betterhelp.com slash Pretend. A young man from Houston, Texas, dedicated to the spirit of the master, will attempt to perform for the first time his version of this dangerous escape, this death-defying escape, buried alive. That voice you're listening to, you guessed it, is none other than William Shatner. This is from a television special called The Search for Houdini. Eight men, very, very gradually, 
lowering Steve down nine feet into the ground. And sure enough, a young magician by the name of Banishek was going to be buried alive on national television. He fought the dirt and the weight, and even now he might be fighting for breath, and we can do nothing but wait, as we are doing... Banishek was trapped nine feet underground for more than 90 minutes. It's the dirt has fallen in. Miraculously, he claws his way back to the surface. <laughs> we see his head, we see his shoulders. We see dirt cascading around him. And there's a hand. <laughs> He's done it. It's a pretty impressive trick, but that's all it was. It was a trick. Banachek, whose real name is Steve Shaw, is best known for his mentalist act. If you watch one of his performances, you would think that he had psychic abilities and could read your mind. But he can't really read your mind. And to be honest, he can't stand it when people try to pass themselves off as psychics. You know who else hated psychics? Houdini. Harry Houdini devoted the later part of his life trying to debunk spiritualists. He messed with the spiritual mediums all day long. But his most famous battle was with a woman known as Marjorie. Marjorie would hold seances to summon the spirit of her dead brother, Walter. During these seances, Walter's ghost would quote scriptures with his disembodied voice. He would bump tables and sound off trumpets. And then things would get really crazy. A white, viscous-type substance would flow out of Marjorie's nose and ears. This substance was called ectoplasm, but most likely it wasn't anything like Slimer from Ghostbusters. One person reported that he watched Marjorie reach under her dress and pull strands of butcher scrap like internal organs. Houdini wasn't having any of it. Once, the great magician actually took part in one of her seances. The lights dimmed and Walter, the dead brother, began to speak. And at one point, the ghost even brushed the side of Houdini's right leg. Houdini knew everyone was getting duped. As soon as it was over, he exposed every trick she used. He wrote a pamphlet mocking and praising Marjorie all at the same time. It read, she certainly was clever in maneuvering to pull wool over the eyes of the committeemen. Houdini's battle with spiritualists is a story all of its own. After Houdini died, another magician continued his mission of exposing psychics and mediums. His name is the Amazing Randy, and just like Houdini, James Randy was also an escape artist. But if you ask me, Randy will one day be remembered for his commitment to continue where Houdini left off. Unfortunately, I couldn't talk with James Randy myself. He's getting up there in age, and quite honestly, he deserves a break. So let's go back to the experiment in Washington University. James Randy was the one who orchestrated the whole thing. It was brilliant. And remember those two high school kids? Well, one of them was Banishek, who you heard from earlier. And the other kid magician, his name was Mike Edwards. I'll let Banishek tell you the story. Well, after I read Randy's book, The, uh, the Magic of Yuri Geller, I wrote Randy a letter. And I said, look, if you ever need a kid to try to convince scientists that this stuff is real, only to come out later and expose it and say that it's all an illusion. Banishek was appalled by guys like Uri Geller, who were going around claiming to be psychics. They were just conning the scientists. And in the early 1980s, Washington University was given half a million dollars to study psychic phenomena. The lab was called the McDonald Laboratory for Physical Research, or the MAC Lab for short. 
and it was led by physicist Peter Phillips. The first thing you do when starting a lab for psychics is to find subjects you could rely on, but you can't just get any psychic off the streets. You have to find someone who is natural with these abilities. So they sent out a press release. So Peter Phillips uh, sent out a press release saying that he was looking for kids who could bend metal. Well, that was right down my alley. Unbeknownst to me, there was already another kid that had already been accepted by them by the name of Mike Edwards. This is Mike Edwards. I come across the press release talking about the establishment of the McDonald Laboratory for Psychical Research and how they were looking for young metal benders. Peter Phillips, the lead physicist, flew Mike to St. Louis in order to meet him. They met and talked about the project, and later in the evening, Peter Phillips even invited Mike over to his house for dinner. After dinner, we brought out some teas and spoons, sat around the dinner table, and I just proceeded to, uh, you know, try to bend metal with these uh, with these people. Uh, bent a key in, in Professor Phillips's hand, replicated that with several other people at the table, one who happened to be the uh, personal assistant to the mayor of St. Louis. Mike Edwards was in. Now, it's Banachek's turn. 19-year-old Banachek applies and also gets accepted. But remember, these two kids don't even know each other. And they sure as hell don't trust each other. The only thing they have in common is their love for magic and their mentor, James Randi. Here's Mike Edwards again. So at that time, I did tell, tell Randi and I made it very clear. I said, I don't know this Steve Shaw. I'm already in at this place and everything's going great. If he's not very good, I'm retaining the ability that we pull the plug on this guy. It was probably 10 minutes after having met you that I realized that I wasn't going to have to pull that trigger at all. So now, Peter Phillips has two young, eager psychics, and his team of scientists are ready to go. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to them, James Randi was the puppeteer behind the scenes. His parapsychology expose was in full swing. They gave their secret mission a name. They called it Project Alpha. Get this, Project Alpha lasted more than three years. Three years. Can you believe that they were able to keep this charade going for that long? Banishek and Mike Edwards weren't there the whole time, but still, that's a long time to pull off a stunt like this. In order to make this work, they needed to establish some rules. First, if the scientists ever asked if they were working for the amazing Randy, they would have to say yes. Keep in mind, all during that time, we had very strict rules. If they ever asked us if we were working with the amazing Randy, we had to say yes. If they ever asked us if we were magicians, we had to say yes. They never asked us any of those questions, and they never did a single background check on us. But they always kept James Randy in the loop. Every time we would do an experiment, we would send to Randy, let him know exactly what experiments we were doing. He would send them a letter and say, look, if you're ever doing X, Y, Z, this type of experiment, you might want to uh, prevent trickery by doing this. This is, where, this is where Randy had to walk an ethical line. He had to do it while he knew the con that was going on. He was showing them and equipping them with the information to be able to catch us or to prevent us from cheating. So when Randy was sending out these, the, uh, this, this advice to the parapsychologists, he was effectively telling them how to run foolproof experiments, which they didn't follow. Randy sent them 11 caveats uh, saying, look, 
Um, if things like uh, if don't let more than one subject work with an object at a time because it could get confusing. They could they could uh, misdirect for each other. Uh, don't let them run the experiments. Mark everything on a macro or micro level. My very first trip there, they showed me that list and they just laughed about it. They said, "How can we do this? This would make you extremely uncomfortable." Project Alpha lasted for three years or thirty six months. Had the parapsychologist actually followed Randy's 11 caveats, Project Alpha would have lasted a week and a half. In case you're wondering, Banishek and Mike Edwards weren't the only ones being studied. They interviewed more than 300 people. On day one of the experiment, had you and Mike touched base? Did you know, uh, did you kind of connect that or did you kind of figure it out as you went along? Mike and I met at the airport on my first trip out there, and I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, I, I asked Randy uh, before I met Mike, I said, look, uh, can I trust this kid? And he said, like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about him. And Mike had said the same thing to Randy in a way. He said, look, if, if, if I think this, this other guy is no good, my name's Steve Shaw at the time, if I think Steve's no good or that he's going to get caught, I'm going to step away from him and I'm going to throw him under the bus. Uh, we met at the airport. Immediately when we met at the airport, we hit it off. We were joking. We were laughing. Um, and we started messing with the scientists almost immediately. Peter Phillips was there to pick us up. He had a wristband on at the time that he said, uh, I asked him where he got it from. He said he got it from a witch doctor and it, it protected him. And so I started thinking this might be a little bit easier than I originally had thought because I, now I know this guy believes in this type of stuff. But I still didn't know if they were going to have one-way mirrors, if they were going to leave cameras on that they said were off, or you know how, how they were going to try to detect trickery. Because in my mind, I'm like, they're going to be looking for trickery. They're going to be skeptical about this. So I have to be careful. Peter Phillips rented a car at the airport. But remember, these were high school kids, and they couldn't really rent a car. We couldn't drive the rental car. So Peter Phillips took the rental car, and we took Peter Phillips's car and started following him. And as we're driving, I look in the back seat and I see that there's a briefcase back there. So I slide the briefcase to the front of the car. It's locked. I pick the locks. I open it up and there's cutlery in there. There's all types of silverware. And I'm thinking to myself, either this guy's a kleptomaniac or this is the cutlery that he's going to be using for the experiment. So we're driving his car. Um, <laughs> you were next to me. I'm driving along. I'm trying to pay attention to where this guy's going because... This was before the days of cell phones, and I had no idea where we were driving in St. Louis. Um, I'm watching out of the corner of my eye as you open his glove box, and you start finding anything that was metal inside of there and bending the hell out of it. So I started bending up all the silverware. I locked it, put it in the back seat. I sit there a little bit longer. I look over, I see the glove compartment. I open up the glove compartment. There's some keys, there's some metal things in there. I start bending those up, and I close that up. I start reaching over to get the keys in the ignition, and Mike slaps my hand. Vanacek leans over, and he's going to start working on the keys that are on the key ring as I'm driving in the ignition. And I have to slap his hands and say, I think you've done enough now. Why in the world would they bend everything in Peter Phillips' car? They could blow this whole thing on day one. That's insane. Aha, but there's a reason for this. Have you ever heard of a thing called spontaneous psychokinesis? Of course you haven't. They wanted Phillips to believe that their psychic power was so powerful that just their presence alone made all the metal in the room warp. Spontaneous psychokinesis is a phenomenon where a burst of energy affects the physical world by what appears to be supernatural force. This phenomenon can also be referred to as poltergeist, which people usually associate with ghosts, but 
very powerful psychics can also reportedly have the same uncontrollable power. And that's exactly what Banishek and Mike Edwards wanted the researchers to believe. You see, not all of these student researchers were eager to buy into these psychic kids. They needed something more. They needed to start with a bang to make them true believers. These students were very, very skeptical. So they started hiding silverware and coins and so forth all under the electronic equipment. But electronics should mess with their psychic abilities, right? I happened at one of the breaks to look around in the, the, the video booth and I noticed uh, the, the keys and the silverware and so forth hidden under all the video equipment. I was like, well, that's a weird place for that stuff. I wonder why that is. So I started bending up all those things. And when they came back later and they started finding all these bent objects in a room that I was supposedly not even in, that sort of convinced them that we may have an ability. And it made things a little bit easier with the students. At the Mac Lab, Banishek says that they were subjected to all sorts of tests. Uh, we were able to, uh, you know, tell what pictures were sealed inside of envelopes. Uh, we, uh, we we concentrated on um, uh, on plants and seeds that were sprouting, and we concentrated on certain types of water to make them sprout better. And there was just a whole list of things that they put us through through the years. And these kids had a trick for each one. I think that's what's really impressive is that the Amazing Randy didn't train them for this. They just had to improvise every step of the way. Here's Mike Edwards again. Randy never trained us. Randy never um, really told us what to do because of the, of the nature of the Mac Lab. When we went to the Mac Lab, we didn't know what we were going to be tested on. They were constantly coming up with new tests that we literally on the spot had to figure out how we could beat it, how we could do it in such a way not to get caught and to make it look psychic. Let's talk about the scientific process. But these scientists, right? Like they had every intention to study this objectively, right? They did. Um, It's just uh, keep in mind that you've got this climate at the time of People truly believing in psychic phenomena, believing it's real and believing that it disappeared whenever there was a skeptic around and also believing that these these psychics have to be very relaxed in a very relaxed environment for these things to come about. They wanted to show the rest of the world that this was genuine. They wanted to get it on film. That was much more important to them than, first of all, finding out if it was genuine. They didn't step back from themselves and say, okay, I do believe in this, but you know what? Let me be skeptical about this. Let me step back and see if it's genuine. In a scientific environment, the scientists are typically the ones who are in control, not at the Mac Lab. These high school kids were running the show. Here's Mike Edwards. One of the one of the very first situations was in a very um, sterile environment. They bring us into a professional um, video recording studio. Um, there were two cameras set up. Van and Chick and I were both watching uh, the cameraman, and we could see the screen and how tight. He was keeping uh, that camera on our hands. Uh, we realized that he was pretty good. It was going to be a little tough for us to get away with things. So we changed the rules. We asked the cameraman to come over and be one of our subjects. He then had to be replaced by somebody less skilled. That was all we need needed to be able to set up a bend and reveal it uh, and have nobody catch it on our hands because the expert in this situation had now been replaced by somebody of inferior talent. They messed with these scientists day and night. 
was even a time that we left the window open. Mike and I went to a party across the state line, came back about three o'clock in the morning, broke into the laboratory because I left the window open, and we bent everything in sight, just bent everything in sight. Well, in the words of the, of the Mac Lab staff, it was like a psychic hurricane had hit that place. We bent every piece of metal that we could find. We changed the time on every clock. We could find, we broke into a, what they considered a secured test environment and move objects and, you know, wrote words with secret meaning. We went home, went to bed. Peter Phillips calls me up and he says, um, he says, you know, uh, how are you doing? I said, oh, I dreamt that I was in the laboratory last night. And it was like a whirlwind and all kinds of things happened, you know, so I haven't slept very well. He said, all right, well, get a little bit more rest. He calls me back shortly after that. He says, oh my God, it's happened. Like your dream happened. And started to describe how everything in the laboratory had bent up. And it was my dream that actually had, had caused that to happen. Are you and Mike just, you know, going, you know, after hours, just laughing your asses off? I wouldn't say we were laughing our asses off. That wasn't the, the whole thing, right? We thought we were doing something good. We thought we were the, the white knights in shining armor, coming in to save the day within the scientific community uh, and show that this stuff isn't genuine and that people can be fooled by this. Because they had PhDs, they thought that they might be too smart to be fooled so they wouldn't go outside and get the help that they needed, like from the amazing Randy who did not have a PhD. So it was never about making fools of people, certainly not that at all. It was more about proving that, hey, Gala may not be real. Some of these other psychics you're looking at, they may not be real. If we can get away with this, you might want to think twice about it, and you may want to start using proper scientific controls to find out whether it's genuine, not so much just documenting what you already believe. You can't always, like you have to fail sometimes too in order to make it believable, right? You, yeah, you definitely have to do that. And keep in mind, we would sit in the laboratory sometimes days and nothing would happen. Nothing would bend. Absolutely nothing. And then other days, we had two or three things bending. If you screw up three effects out of ten, you're a horrible magician. If you screw up three effects out of ten as a psychic or a mentalist, you might just be real. If you do ten out of ten, it looks like a trick. We did it just enough to beat odds. We didn't want it to be too perfect because, again, it would start looking like a trick if it's too perfect. But you want to be above the odds. Do you think they ever, like, got a whiff of what was really happening? No, I don't think so. Not at all. Well, there was this one time that James Randi purposely admitted that he had two people planted in the Mac Lab. This actually came to the attention of the Mac Lab staff when they were out in New York presenting at a conference. And they, they actually came up to us and said, and we thought, we thought, you know, the jig was up here. Uh, they actually said, well, you know, we heard some interesting rumors and we heard the rumor that you were, that you guys are working with James Randy. Now, both Banachek and I kind of looked at each other and went, oh, that's a good one. But they never asked us directly, are you guys working for Randy? Because we would have come clean. Remember. Banishek and Mike Edwards followed one code, and that's to never lie. This did last a long time, and you know, you started off with this mission to to for for the cause, you know, to to show that this is not science. But I have to imagine that after a while, like you're getting kind of attached to these people, you kind of form relationships. 
these were really, really good people. I, and I've seen, I've seen uh, Peter Phillips since then, you know, just very, very good human beings. And we stayed in their house. We would have dinner with them every evening. Uh, we spent a lot of time and we got to know a whole other side of them. They, they became our friends. Here's one of the scientists, Mark Schaefer. We have been working, first of all, to establish the range of abilities that Mike and Steve have, because these have apparently included being able to move small, solid objects across the tabletop, influencing a variety of metal objects such as keys and silverware and metal bars and metal rods. I don't believe they're tricking us. And it's really hard when you know that you're deceiving a friend, knowing that at some point down the line, you're going to have to come out and tell them the truth, and it's going to hurt them. And there's no way out of this, right? It's no longer us against them, trying to right or wrong, but we're not trying to hurt people. And how do you get around that? And we knew that we wouldn't be able to. But over time, Banishek and Mike Edwards couldn't unbend the relationship that they had started to form. For three years, they had been messing with these guys nonstop, and now they considered them friends. What did they get themselves into? And it was at that point that it really scared Mike and I, and we sat there and we said, we can't do this anymore. You know, this because now we're thinking what's going to happen when Peter Phillips and the other people we really care about find out. Are they going to react in this way as well? They called Randy wanting to pull a plug on the whole thing. Randy said, look, in a couple of weeks, we're going to come out on this TV show and we're going to expose it all as a fake and a fraud and a hoax. So just hold on until then, please. And so we did. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. In 1993, three years after starting Project Alpha, the amazing Randy held a press conference in conjunction with Discover Magazine. There were cameras everywhere. James Randy took to the podium and called Banishek, whose real name at the time was Steve Shaw, and Mike Edwards to join him on stage. At first, Randy asked them to bend metal on stage. Pretty impressive. The amazing Randy is about to make a major announcement. The announcement that people thought he was going to make was that he had found two genuine psychics. After a few parlor tricks, it was time for Banishek and Mike Edwards to drop the bombshell. The voice you're about to hear is the amazing Randy. Let's play the tape. The two young gentlemen who um, took part in Project Alpha are here with us today. Gentlemen, would you uh, stand up and take a while? <laughs> gentlemen, uh, can you tell us how do you do it? Then Mike Edwards leans over the mic and says, Be quite honest, we cheat. Did you hear that gasp? That's not a Univision telenovela sound effect. That's a room packed full of reporters in pure shock. 
no one saw it coming. Here's the amazing Randy. Project Alpha had to be done because the parapsychologists had to be taught once and for all something that they had denied all the time. They had to be taught that they could be fooled. They had said, we're too smart, we're too intelligent, we're too well-informed, we're too good observers. No one is going to be able to fool us. They were fooled. We came out and explained everything was a hoax. There were a few people that came out and said, is it right to deceive scientists in the name of science? Well, my answer to that, is it right for scientists to take money for research when they're not conducting the proper research? And the scientists would not answer their phone for a single reporter until they heard from us. And somewhere I still have that uh, recording of when I called one of the scientists back. And he said, you know, he says, I, I've heard some disturbing news. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, I've heard some dis disturbing news. Um, and, you know, there's a claim out there that you are uh, working with the amazing Randy and that this was all a hoax. And so I asked him, I said, what do you think? And he says to me, well, it can't be true. I mean, we've seen what you can do. And I said, well, unfortunately, it is. And then from that point on, the scientists kept asking me continuously, well, what about this? Well, what about that? And talking about every single experiment that they had performed, just trying to find one thing, just one thing that they could hold on to. But that's fascinating, though, right? Because <laughs> you're telling them that it was fake. I mean, you're telling them, it, without a doubt, I fooled you. And, and he had, it sounds like he had trouble accepting that. I think they all had trouble accepting that because, and I think part of it was also how close we all were as well. You know, how can somebody deceive us that was that close to us? And they had seen things that they could not explain. I mean, this stuff looks real. I also saw, like, when I was doing research on you, the New York Times saying that, you know, what you guys did was completely unethical. I felt bad, but here's the thing. I would have done it all again. I felt that it needed to be done. I felt that the climate of psychic believability at the time of this pseudoscience was so high that something needed to be done. I tell my audiences when I perform continuously, I say, uh, you know, I, I'm not real. I'm not a psychic. And then when I'm done, there are people that go leave and they say, he's just saying that it has to be real. But let's face it. What Randy Banaschek and Mike Edwards did was dirty. But Banaschek doesn't see it that way. And I think this is the danger of even like Uri Geller and other people when they go in there, is I think pseudoscience hurts progress. You know, it, it moves us back. It stops us from moving forward. And a lot of money gets wasted on things when that money could be put into something that could actually do good for humankind, as opposed to this nonsense that's out there. I get it. The end justifies the means. Ultimately, they were doing the right thing, even if it meant deceiving people they admittedly grew close to. Here's Mike Edwards. I think both Banachek and I, if we could do it over again, we would like to find a way to minimize the hurt that we caused to those we deceived. They opened their hearts and their homes to us. They allowed us to get inside. We knew a lot of the personal stories. We became good friends with them, or at least I think they did at the time, not knowing, you know, um, our real intentions on this. And I know both of us don't like that element of the story as it's, it's, it's deceitful on a personal relationship level.
I want to thank Banishek for coming on my show and letting me use materials from his podcast, Banishek's Brain. If you guys haven't checked it out, please do. He has an episode where he and Randy talk about Project Alpha. And by the way, Banishek took over as director of James Randi's Educational Foundation. He's in charge of the Million Dollar Challenge. The foundation offers a million dollars to anyone who claims to have psychic powers. If they can prove their abilities in a controlled environment, well, they could get the cash. So far, nobody's won. As for Mike Edwards, well, he no longer performs magic professionally. He just lives a normal life, just like you and I. I reached out to Peter Phillips, the physicist who led the Mac Lab. He had this to say to me, and I quote, I have not done any research in parapsychology for many years. If you are serious about the subject and are not simply trying to laugh with Randy and his friends, I can refer you to a number of able researchers who could provide you with useful information. I wrote back and said that I was not interested in any parapsychologist. I just really wanted to talk to him and get his perspective. He wrote back and said, It is understandable that you are attracted to the sensational reports about parapsychology. The legend of Uri Geller is obvious an example, and the only reason you have gotten in touch with me is that you have been following accounts of Randy's Project Alpha. That kind of reading will not take you to serious literature. In September 1981, the Washington University researchers issued a press release. In the letter, the scientists said that they never claimed or published anything that remotely indicates that these teenagers had psychic abilities. They wrote, and I quote, Although several events of interest transpired, we do not claim that evidence conclusive of psychic abilities have yet to be demonstrated in our research, unquote. They went on to say that the McDonald Laboratory cut Banishek and Mike Edwards loose because it became clear that they could not demonstrate psychic abilities under rigorous control. If this topic fascinates you, then you need to check out the documentary titled The Honest Liar. It's based off of James Randi's life. It's one of my favorite docs ever. I was able to find it on Amazon Prime. I also have tons of links posted online at pretendradio.org. Next time on Pretend, I talk to a woman who has devoted a good chunk of her life to try to expose psychics live on camera. It took a couple tries, but she finally got it. These are all your guys you're picking up. No, they're not guys. They're yes, dead. they are. They're dead. Who's Linda? Guys are on the other side. Don't you call that dead? They're, they're dead, but they, they're pissed. No, you're getting visions. You have to ask God to take it away. That's next time on Pretend. Today's episode was written and produced by me and edited by the talented Molly Clay. Our theme music is by Joe Basile with thechicken.net. Joe just recently got married, so he's off the table, ladies. Congratulations, Joe. Also... A good chunk of this episode came from a conversation between Mike Edwards and Banachek from the podcast Banachek's Brain. If you love magic, like I do, you're going to love this podcast. Banachek has also been involved in other supernatural stunts. Maybe we'll partner up again in a future episode. And just a reminder that next month, I'll be speaking as part of the panel at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago. Get your tickets now at truecrimepodcastfestival.com. And I have a correction to make. 
In the last episode, Uri Geller told me that scientists believed that if they got 10 Uri Gellers together in a room, they could dematerialize an entire city. I searched and searched but couldn't find anything, and after listening to the episode, Uri Geller wrote back to me, and this is what he said. Hi, Javier. Someone heard your interview and told me that you said that you couldn't find the CIA NSA paper that said that if there would be more than one Uri Geller, they could dematerialize an entire city. You said it in a scoffing tone, alluding to the fact that I made it up. Well, here it is. Read carefully the actual NSA papers and see for yourself. You owe me an apology, and I am not in the business of lying. And sure enough, Uri Geller was right, and I owe him an apology. He sent me a link to the NSA document posing this question. Here's what the NSA memo says, and I'll link to it in my show notes. If you concentrate 10 individuals in one area, all of whom are evidencing disruptive telekinetic phenomena, do you cause a chain reaction, causing much matter to reverse direction and sink back into the sea of energy or displaced in time and space? Could such critical mass affect the whole city? So there you have it, folks. Those were serious questions asked by scientists in an NSA memo. And one more thing before I go. A lot of you have been supporting the show on Patreon, and I want to send you a gift. So for those of you who have donated $10 or more to the show, be on the lookout. If you want to support the show, go to pretendradio.org and click the donate button because I always post new ad-free episodes there first. See you in two weeks for my last attempt to explore the psychic world. From life on a farm in rural Australia, where wide open spaces made a young woman yearn to know what was beyond her country town. She moved to the city, became a mother, and found her dream career, which took her across the world. But still, something's missing. In her search for love, she traveled far, trusted deeply. She wanted so badly to find someone that she almost lost herself in the process and learned some hard lessons along the way. Fool Me Twice, a new memoir by Jules Hannaford. Available on Amazon.